This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. On today's show, we're going to go through the backlog of material that we have amassed for you, dear listener, and see what we can do to debulk. Let us begin this program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date today is the 3rd of March. It was on March 3rd in 1859 in what was described as the largest recorded slave auction in American history. 400 men, women, and children are sold to pay off the gambling debts of their owner, Pierce M. Butler. We had a war in this country a couple of years later to knock that crap off. On March 3rd in 1913, as thousands of women suffrage supporters marched past a huge crowd in Washington, D.C., onlookers attacked the marchers, injuring 200. I guess seven years later, we knocked that crap off, too, and women got the vote. On March 3rd in 1924, the Turkish Republic exiled the Ottoman Sultan, Abdulmasid, and abolished the title of Caliph, which had been in use by Muslim leaders since the death of Muhammad in the year 632. The idea of restoring the caliphate has been circulating among various Muslim extremists, and, and I think Glenn Beck. And yes, we said at the beginning of the year we were going to get around to talking about Kemal Ataturk, the man who was responsible for uh, the modernization of Turkey, and, and we're going to get to that, but we're not there yet. Need a little more time. I do finally have at least a guest in mind. Kind of a sad day for music, March 3rd. 1931, Francis Scott Key's patriotic hymn, The Star-Spangled Banner, became the official national anthem of the United States. My understanding is there are worse national anthems out there. I'm just not sure I've ever heard them. And on March 3rd, 1952, the U.S. Supreme Court allowed the state of New York to prohibit communists from teaching in its public schools. Although we've expressed over the years a certain lack of sympathy for communists on this program, I would note for the record that as a child, a former high-ranking member of the American Communist Party, who shall remain nameless, was through an odd series of circumstances a good family friend. His wife was possibly my favorite elementary school teacher, and as a gift, for reasons I'm still not quite sure why this happened, they gave me an encyclopedia set when I was uh, about in junior high age. And over the years, I learned a hell of a lot from that encyclopedia set. So I guess I can say that I owe a great deal of my education to American communists. Although I would add that as ideologies go, I have always thought that communism was borderline insane. Although a few months back, uh, this program while in Berkeley went out to dinner and drinks with uh, a noted Marxist in Berkeley, and even though I don't agree with his uh, politics, uh, he's a pretty fun guy to hang out with. Which I think is more than I can say for most arch-conservatives. But anyway, final matter of note, it was on March 3rd, back in 1803, that the German composer Ludwig von Beethoven published Moonlight Sonata. Our quote of the day comes from New Scientist magazine, the uh, letters to the editor section, which is as follows. 
Feedback fully understands that common sense is often wrong, and the importance of carrying out empirical studies to test any belief, popular or unpopular. Nevertheless, we were startled to be told in a press release issued jointly on November 1st by the University of California, San Francisco, and the University of California, Merced, that, quote, having oral sex increases likelihood of intercourse among teens, unquote. To which the magazine added, who'd have thunk it? Our clip of the day comes from Jay Leno, who said, Muammar Gaddafi said that Libyan protesters were all on drugs, and then he blamed it on Al-Qaeda. Now he's saying it's the fault of the teachers' unions. Our bonus clip of the day comes from uh, Conan O'Brien, who said, A pizza parlor has been closed after police found more than $1 million in marijuana there. Police apparently became suspicious when the pizza parlor promised delivery in 30 days or less. Our joke of the day comes from the classic Dave Barry calendar, donated to Radio Parallax by listener Elise, which is as follows. Very appropriate, I would, might add, for our current conditions here in California. Dave Barry, when skiing, you want to make sure you have the right equipment. And when I say the right equipment, I mean not skis. The ski industry is always claiming that because of new technology, skis are better than ever. But on my recent trip, I noted that the so-called modern skis still have the fundamental safety defect that has plagued skis from the beginning. They're slippery on the bottom. Combine slippery bottoms with gravity, and you have a recipe for disaster. This is why when you go to a ski area, you see big signs written by lawyers advising you that by attaching these things to your feet and going up a frozen mountain, you're admitting you have the IQ of sauerkraut and are voluntarily forfeiting all your legal rights, including freedom of religion. Our bonus joke of the day goes back to Jay Leno, who said, Experts say that what happened in Egypt proves that countries in the Middle East can move toward democracy without the U.S. invading them. And George W. Bush says, oh, now you tell me. Our stat of the day, and I think we have several stats we'll do today, but stat number one, according to USA Today and others, U.S. airlines didn't have a single fatality in 2010, despite more than 10 million flights involving more than 700 million passengers. It was the third year in the past four without a death. Our bonus stat of the day, courtesy of the Boston Globe, was that last year, California farmers advertised to fill 1,160 vacant farm jobs. Only 233 American citizens applied for the work, and only 36 were hired. So much for the notion that illegal immigrants are taking American jobs. Well, not farm jobs. As far as I can see, not a whole lot of dishwashing and busboy jobs. Or gardening jobs. Or jobs that involve hard work. But lest I digress. And I'd like to ask you, dear listener, should we do a good news section on every program, or should we do... I think we can do this. One show a month, perhaps, dedicated solely to good news? You make the call. Send your opinion to info at radioparallax.com. We'd like to see where this goes. But we've got a couple good news items. How about this one? Whales have returned to the waters just beyond New York Harbor thanks to cleaner ocean water and international bans on whale hunting. Cornell University professor Chris Clark estimates that as many as 50 fin whales now live just past the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, which connects Brooklyn to Staten Island. Radio Parallax may take a stab at uh, whale watching on our next trip to New York. Now here's a stat we can't resist. The U.S. is roughly the same size as China, 
But to match China's population of 1.3 billion, we'd have to incorporate the entire population of Canada, Central America, South America, Japan, and Nigeria. Yes, the entire Western Hemisphere, plus the most populous nation in Africa, plus Japan. China is a crowded place. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. And as we do this, we would like to note that The Ugly, in the original Sergio Leone classic movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, Eli Wallach was interviewed by this program. It's available in our archives, and we'd recommend also checking out the transcript, which is in the current edition of KDVations magazine. You can generally find KDVations in your local coffee shop, and if it's not there, ask for it. But uh, we really enjoyed talking with The Ugly of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, Eli Wallach, still going strong at age 95. And yes, we are still trying to get the other 95-year-old actor we'd love to interview, Norman Lloyd, on this program. Uh, We're still working on it. But anyway, it was a good week, according to The Week magazine last week, for really limited government. After Belgium broke Iraq's modern record for 250 consecutive days without a government. Apparently the Belgians had an election last June, but political leaders haven't agreed on a governing coalition yet. Which makes you wonder if the anarchists and libertarians aren't onto something. No government, things are functioning fine. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for public art. After a $50,000 fiberglass cactus, paid for by taxpayers, was knocked over by vandals in Albuquerque and city employees thinking it was garbage, sent it to a landfill where it was compacted and buried. For the record, Radio Parallax takes no stand on whether this was a legitimate action. And we would add that it was an ugly week a few weeks back for propaganda. After China Central Television aired video that it said showed a Chinese J-10 fighter plane blowing up another plane during a training exercise. In fact... The clip was actually taken from the movie Top Gun. It would be Radio Parallax's suggestion that if footage ever comes up of a Chinese moon landing, we take a very close look at it. We think there is a possibility of a hoax. All right, we uh, really like The Week magazine. We like a lot of things about it. Uh, We generally take our good, bad, and ugly items from them. They also have a section called Only in America. I'd like to do four of them today. Apparently an Ohio man is suing the Ocean Creek Golf Club in South Carolina. He claims the course design caused him not to see an alligator that tore his arm off. Although it's noted that the course does have signs warning of the presence of native alligators, James Willensek says the dark brackish water of a pond on the 11th hole makes it difficult to see, quote, large, aggressive alligators, unquote, waiting for golfers who are chasing errant balls. Only in America Part 2. A nine-year-old boy has been suspended from his New York City school for sticking a kick-me sign on a classmate's back. 
Principal Daryl Adelhoff informed the boys' parents that the classic prank, a feature of schoolyard life for generations, is now classified as infraction A37, engaging in bullying behavior, and carries an automatic two-day suspension. Only in America Part 3. A diabetic California man is suing an all-you-can-eat sushi restaurant because it wouldn't let him toss out the rice and fill up on fish alone. David Martin claims he suffered, quote, humiliation, embarrassment, and mental anguish, unquote, when staff at the Kashi Sushi charged him a la carte prices for his meal. If you only eat the fish, explains owner Jay O, I would go broke. All right, final item, which is multi-part, which seems incredible. In the wake of the shooting of Representative Gabriel Giffords, but only in America Part 4, lawmakers in Utah have proposed making the semi-automatic Browning pistol the official state gun. Gun control groups say that would be in poor taste given the recent Tucson massacre, but sponsors say Utah native John Browning's semi-automatic firearm has defended American values and the traditions of this country for a hundred years. But uh, maybe time for someone to check that Rocky Mountain spring water because something's going on in that part of the country. Arizona is also on the verge of designating an official state gun after a state committee a couple weeks back voted 9-4 to four to bring le- the legislation to a vote of the full chamber. Already, 43 of 90 legislators in both houses of the legislature have co-sponsored a bill to honor the Colt Single Action Army Revolver, a weapon popular in the West in the late 1800s. A lobbyist for the gunmaker said that Colt had played a vital role in settling the region. And I guess the phrase settling the region means what? Shooting the Indians? Far, far as I know, that's what it means. You have to ask the question, with legislators... <laughs> having to grapple with all these serious problems. They really have a lot of extra time on their hands to be voting for the state gun. But folks, it ain't just Utah and Arizona. The good folks up in Montana have gone a little bit wacky too. Apparently their state Senate a couple weeks back voted to adopt the Cowboy Code as a guide for Montana's residents, urging them to live each day with courage, be tough but fair, and always ride for the brand. Along with a bunch of other, I guess, sap-headed folksy directives. Montana Senate President Jim Peterson said he views the code as a, a set of golden rules that makes us stronger as a state and as a nation and as a person. Apparently Native Americans less convinced of the virtue of cowboys have criticized the bill. Here's the part about this whole story that I just love the most. The Cowboy Code was first laid down in a 2005 book titled Cowboy Ethics, written by Wall Street investor James P. Owen. That's right, a book on ethics written by a Wall Street investor. You know, I, I gotta confess though, uh, when I visited Wall Street a few years back, I, I, I don't recall seeing any cowboys. There was a large bronze bull in one of the squares down there, which, which actually I guess is probably a perfect metaphor for this whole discussion, isn't it? Cowboy ethics, guns that won the West, protecting your freedom. I can see why the Native Americans are not convinced. Of course, when I say that, that opinion, like all the ones heard in this program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, 
or the regents of the University of California, who, to our knowledge, do not endorse any particular brand of firearm. You know what? These Olean Americas are so fun. Let's do two more. These are from a couple months ago. Apparently, officials in Bibb County, Georgia, are urging residents of a street named Lustful Court to request a name change. No one remembers why the dirt road acquired that name decades ago, but County Commissioner Lonzi Edwards, an ordained minister, said it might promote lustful behavior, <laughs> saying, to encourage it, seem to condone it with a name like that? Paraphrase Frank Zappa, it's just a word, Commissioner Edwards. Here's one we like. A single mother from Florida was fined $27,000 for keeping a car in her driveway without a valid license plate for four months. Diane Pearson, 49, a mother of three, says she will go bankrupt if forced to pay the fine. But Northport, Florida officials say the ordinance protect the city's appearance. And if they're not enforced, then property values will even deteriorate more. All right, we have time for a couple of items here. And I know that some of you have no doubt uh, tuned into this show based on the teaser on last week's program about gold falling from the skies and obese monkeys. And I ask you, dear listener, how many programs out there would cover both topics? But the first item, apparently William Botke of the Southwest Research Institute in Boulder, Colorado, took a look at how much gold there was in the Earth's crust and decided we have too much. I know you might not agree if you've ever tried to pan for the stuff. The reason for this is that we know that the Earth... uh, smacked into another planet about the size of Mars, melted the whole crust, threw up a bunch of debris that formed the moon. And in doing this, there's a lot of metals that uh, apparently can be dissolved in iron quite readily, including gold, platinum, and palladium. Thus, it's felt that these metals should have bonded with the iron and sunk. But since we find a surprising amount of it in the crust, uh, the scientists in Colorado think this must indicate there was a late bombardment of the Earth from space, wherein the gold got replenished. So who knows? When we finally get to Mars, there may be a gold rush. Because if the Earth got bombarded from space, no doubt, so did the other inner planets. Now, some months back, we were sent an email by Millie that talked about how diabetes is a huge epidemic in China. As the Chinese exercise less, drive more, and eat fatty foods like Americans, they're having the same health problems as Americans. So interesting article by Andrew Pollack in the New York Times last week noted that uh, scientists at the Oregon National Primate Research Center in Hillsboro, Oregon, have been trying to uh, create some obese rhesus monkeys, and they're succeeding. Under Mr. Pollack in the article... Like many these days, Shiva sits around too much, eating rich, fatty foods and sipping sugary drinks. He has the pot belly to prove it, one that nearly touches the floor when he's on all fours. Shiva belongs to a colony of monkeys who've been fattened up to help scientists study the twin human epidemics of obesity and diabetes. The overweight monkeys also test new drugs aimed at treating those conditions. One of the quotes I liked from the piece was, Non-human primates don't lie to you. (laughs) We know exactly how much they're eating. And of course, the researchers are uh, investigating some drugs that pharmaceutical companies are quite interested in, which really sounds like the proper approach, doesn't it? Get your fat, obese monkeys and then manage them by giving them drugs. I laugh, but sometimes I wonder as a physician if this is not just uh, a great metaphor for how we're treating diabetes and obesity in America. 
Go to your doctor and get some pills. When the solution may be, eat less and exercise more. That, of course, would not solve the problem for all diabetics and would not solve the problem of obesity in everyone. But man, it's an approach that I think doctors just need to get more solidly behind. This is a fascinating article, however. Talks about how they fattened up the monkeys. Their daily diet consisted of dried chow pellets, with about one-third of the calories coming from fat, which is similar to the typical American diet. The monkeys can eat as many pellets as they want. They also snack daily on 300-calorie chunks of peanut butter and are sometimes treated with popcorn or peanuts. The article notes that gummy bears were abandoned because they stuck to the monkey's teeth. They also drink a fruit-flavored punch with the fructose equivalent of about a can of soda daily, In all, they consume about twice as many calories as a normal weight monkey. The organ researchers and those at some other centers say that the high fructose corn syrup appeared to accelerate the development of obesity and diabetes. The article said, quote, It wasn't until we added those carbs that we got all those other changes, including those changes in body fat, said Anthony Komuzel, who helped create an obese baboon colony at the Southwest National Primate Research Center in San Antonio. This could turn out to be an important area of research because rats and mice, of course, are the mainstays of animal research, but the, uh, the effects of diet on rodents uh, don't always mirror those seen in people. It's curious, though. There was one experimental drug they tried on baboons, but the obese baboons just doubled or tripled their food intake when they got the drug. Chris, you got to admire the people at Pfizer. When they got those results, they started exploring whether the drug could instead be used to promote weight gain. The article concludes by noting that as pharmaceutical companies move some research to less expensive countries, the obese monkeys are following. There's apparently a booming industry in China where they have colonies of thousands of them. And considering what's happening to the Chinese with (laughs) obesity and diabetes, uh, I guess they better pay attention over there as to what's happening. Let's... Take a break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We've got a lot of science topics we're going to hit in our second segment. Don't go away. Come on, come on, come on, come on. 